Welcome to Grace Story Podcast. We're here to connect you with education, resources, and community that equip you for the journey of restoration. My name is Nate Davison, and I am your host here at Grace Story Podcast. I'm glad that you have joined us once again. I love getting together every two weeks and finding something else, uh, whether it's a story from someone or or something from a uh, licensed professional to put in our toolkit. Uh, I love getting together and continuing on our journey of restoration together. Now, we're going to be talking to somebody this week. His name's Joseph Reed, uh, um, uh, someone who has struggled with mental illness, been in and out of mental hospitals, and he's going to be talking about his book, Broken Like Me, uh, a book where he shares how he has developed tools in his toolkit for dealing with brokenness in his own life. So there's a lot in this episode, uh, things about life kids, mental illness, uh, Joseph's story, his book, but one thing that keeps getting touched on is the importance of community. Um, and there's nothing more vital in a Christian walk and in in our journey of restoration than to have a community, a, a group of people around us that are like-minded, that are going in the same direction, that want the most and the best for us, and are also connected to the life source uh, of our Creator in order to come around us and help us move forward in our journey of restoration. So part of the mantra of uh, the mission statement, rather, of Grace Story Ministries is connecting people, I say it every time in the intro, uh, connecting people with education, resources, and what? Community. Uh, A sense of community, that group of people. Um, So I want to give you a couple ways that you can connect with a community here at Grace Story Ministries, uh, more than just this podcast, um, but one of those is through the Grace Story Community Group. It's free, uh, it's online, it's very accessible. All you have to do is go over to Facebook, go to the group section, and type in Grace Story community. You're going to find that community. Just click join. Uh, there'll be a couple questions to answer, including your email. So we can uh, stay with you on that with some important updates. And, and then you'll join a community that's uh, several hundred people strong, uh, people who are, are serious about their journey of restoration and want to dig deeper into what that looks like, whether it's journaling, whether it's getting connected to a Christian counselor, whether it's uh, connecting with this podcast, talking about that question. Uh, Questions to help you dig deeper um, and, and just connect with people. Another way is actually going to conference. Now, this year's conference is for women. Um, we're working on a men's conference, which I'm personally excited about. Uh, can't wait to go to that as soon as we get that uh, ready and available. But this year, Grace Story Conference is in November uh, 2021, and registration is already open. You can just go over to gracestoryministries.com, click on registration, and for this podcast, when you're listening, I have a special code for you that you can use now up till conference to save 25% off of that price that you see on there. Uh, Just use podcast25, I know that's real hard, but podcast25 and you'll be able to save 25% off. I can't wait to see you there. Um, And if you use that and you see me at conference, make sure you tell me that you used it and, and I'll be happy to get to know you more there. Our guest today is Joseph Reed. He's the founder and executive director of the organization Broken People. Uh, He has his bachelor's degree from Liberty University in interdisciplinary studies, and he leads a support group with the nation's largest grassroots mental health movement, uh, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Uh, I know you're not going to want to miss his story, uh, so let's go right to our conversation with Joseph Reed. And we're here with Joseph Reed on Grace Story Podcast. Joseph, welcome to the podcast. Glad to have you on today. So glad to be here. Thank you. Now, uh, I have this thing where I like to ask questions. I sent you a list of questions, of course, before the some topics that we're going to go over. But one question I did not send you, uh, we got the Olympics going on right now. And just to get to know you a little bit better, if you were to go to the Olympics today in your current physical, mental state, um, what sport would you be competing in and how would you do on the Olympic stage? Excellent. So my, my initial thought to that answer to that question was turtle wrestling, but I don't, I don't want to do a quick Google search and see if turtle wrestling is a thing because I'm a big fan of turtles. I'm sure we're going to get back to that 
in a little bit. It's definitely going to come up in this interview. Um, my second thought was swimming, um, but I can't swim. So I would do very poorly. So those are my two ideas. And <laughs> I would love to be able to like, you know, skydive or whatever off of that, that, uh, you know, the whole fancy jumping into the pool thing. But again, I can't swim, but I would love to try. And I'm sure they have really good lifeguards, right? <laughs> well, well, you know, there is that, uh, I saw a picture online of a lifeguard at the Olympics. I, they, they had it tagged as the most useless job that you could <laughs> ever, ever experience or, or have on your resume. But I mean, you know, if you ended up saving somebody, then it takes you to the top, I guess. But, uh, you know, your, your story though, um, is, is not without its many, um, I don't want to call them failures or flops. You know, there's stigma around that. Right. But I mean, looking at the title of, of your, your book that you wrote kind of around that uh, broken like me, um, it doesn't. Uh, you, you don't equate broken with like success and you know the the elite, um, but you do equate it with something that we all can relate to. Um, so wh- where does where does your inspiration for your story and broken like me start? It starts with a seventeen foot tall beer bottle. Okay, <laughs> I. Um... I entered uh, the, there's a art competition here in West Michigan called art prize. And so the world's, the, the world's largest international art prize or sorry, art competition. And one day I had this vision to create this, this bottle out of panhandler signs, um, kind of like a statue and use it to highlight, uh, mental health, uh, substance abuse, stuff like that to really draw attention to it. So we made this 17 foot tall beer bottle that in this art prize competition that had all of these signs on there, you know, we'll look for food. And, and it, some, some of the signs had like AA slogans and Bible verses, and they're written in multiple languages because we had so many people from around the world there. And then at night, the label to that bottle would light up and you could see a person trying to break, it was a dummy inside of the bottle, but trying to push out from that addiction or push out from, uh, that, that, that suffering or whatever they were dealing with. And the group that helped me put that, that project together, which was really huge. Um, I called us broken people and it's because I was working with an ex meth addict, a lady that just celebrated 10 years of sobriety, another lady that was dealing with severe mental illness and another guy that was homeless. So the five of us got together, five of us misfits got together and did this amazing well, you know, this beautiful piece of work that really touched the hearts of people in Grand Rapids. And that's where the broken people aspect of the, uh, of what I do comes from. Uh, whenever I'm at my lowest point, I feel broken. And I happen to think that there are lots of people out there that feel broken like me. And then once I said that, I'm just like, that's gotta be the name of the book. There's somebody out there that can relate to that, that feels broken like me. I love that. That's that, and, and like I said, it's not about, you know, successes and, you know, people love those stories, but there's something we can all relate to is being at a low point and needing help or needing a set uh, of guidelines or tools or something we can grab onto to get out of. And the, the next part of your title is an insider's toolkit for mending broken people. Uh, can you tell me what the importance of having your own toolkit was for moving out of uh, uh, being broken? Yeah. So in, in all actuality, it's not really moving out of being broken. It's, it's kind of existing and trying to survive this broken state that I, I kind of function in on a day-to-day basis. You know, I, I'm, I'm constantly on the road to recovery. I'm constantly dealing with, with this brokenness of my, I don't know, my mind, my soul, you know, whatever it is. And I just had to daily give it to God and daily work with my um, you know, my coping skills and some of the things I've learned through therapy, having these skills and the three that I really highlight in my book have saved my life. You know, these are things that I just adapted for my life from, you know, years and years of dialectical behavior therapy. And I couldn't seem to take the concepts that they were teaching me, which DBT or dialectical behavior therapy is something I, I like to call social skills for dummies <laughs> and uh, um, cause I don't have social skills. Like I have to be taught like how to be assertive and how to, you know, ask for what I want and, you know, stuff like that. And, and, and these skills that I talk about in the book, they, they really just, 
it was just something that I did to just live day, day to day. I never intended to write a book. I just wanted to, to survive. And in order to do that, I needed to create certain boundaries around my life. And that's what these tools did. They created boundaries. Well, just before we get into those, those tools, I want to, I want to give the listener a, a kind of a, a base, a platform of where you're coming out of, where these, these tools went into effect. Cause I know there were some pretty extraordinary things that happened in your life and the not too distant past really. Um, can you highlight some of those, those biggest challenges in your life that led up to this, this realization of a toolkit and, and passing it on to others who have been in those same situations? What were those biggest challenges in your life? Yeah. So it started, you know, working in the children's ministry of kind of a mega church here in Grand Rapids. I, you know, in addition to doing that and just, just being the type of person I am that kind of, when you, when I see a need, I kind of think it's my responsibility to do something about that need. And, and I keep that verse in the, in the back of my mind from years and years of just having it drilled into me in the churches that, you know, God will not give you more than you can handle. And so I was just like, okay, if I see a need and I have a heart to do something about that need, then I should be able to have like the wherewithal, both physically, mentally, spiritually, and emotionally to kind of handle that without, you know, breaking up, you know, without breaking apart. Well, that is not the truth <laughs> because in 2001, I just gotten back, I just got back from Kosovo uh, working with some, um, some ministry there with, this is the devastation that happened during the Kosovo war uh, with, with the Serbians was just, was just crazy. And I came back just traumatized and, um, and I tried to do more and more ministry. I tried to help more and more people. You know, one of the things that I would really love to change about the, a lot of church things that happens is, is how we encourage boundary setting within our volunteers. And that was something that I didn't really get. And in the book, I talk about this, this, this insanity of, okay, I'm trying to help people and I'm trying to do more for people. And, you know, whose fault is it when I end up in the hospital and have to abandon my ministry because... The church where I was at uh, certainly wasn't going to take the blame for putting too much on me. And, and it's not God's fault, right? So it's all on me. But I think there's a lot of things that the church can do to help encourage healthy living for people with emotional struggles that they deal with. Well, for anybody, really. It doesn't have to do with like mental health or anything like that. It could be for anybody. Just, you know, one of the things I think that's really great about that is like, you know, if you start to volunteer, when's your end date? When do we revisit the volunteer day? You know, like that's one thing I really, uh, I really do with my broken people group. But during that time in 2001, my wife found a diary, a journal of mine where I was drawing pictures of myself. Uh, this is might be triggering from some of your listeners, but committing acts of suicide. And I was writing, I was just writing in my journal, trying to convince myself to do it, just to, to, to kill myself. with the future that I could, the only future I could see for my life because I wasn't good enough to solve the problems that were going on around me in the church and in the world. And I just wasn't big enough. I wasn't good enough. I was too broken. And my wife, after I got home from, from work uh, one evening, she sat me down and was like, you know, either you're going to take yourself to the hospital. Or I'm going to have to call the police. And uh, when we went, we went to the hospital and that was a whole traumatic experience in and of itself. Um, some pretty crazy things happened at the hospital in 2001 that really caused a lot of, a lot of trauma in my life that kind of kept me from ever wanting to get mental, uh, mental health help for, for a decade after that. So, um, that's what initially kind of got me into the, the idea or realizing that I really, I really did have an emotional struggle an emotional, dis, uh, uh, disorder. And it wasn't until another 10 years later that I was hospitalized again. Um, that I really was learning the skills to be able to do something about it. So in that, and I want to take a segue here as you're, as you're talking about mental health, help mental health facilities, hospitals, uh, one of which you're, you're on the grounds of a mental health hospital right now because it's become kind of a safe place for you to, to be at. And it's a place of healing, learning and, uh, moving forward. Um, so that's your vision of it and we'll come just back to your story, but I want to take this moment to give you an opportunity to address the stigma surrounding people that attend or go to a mental health hospital for help. Even once multiple times, you know, they come out and you're like, 
I don't know. I think the unpredictability of I don't know what they're thinking. Were they healed? Are they better? Like to someone who's never experienced that or someone who doesn't uh, understand the help that one can receive at a facility like that. What would you say to them about that stigma? You know, when I was, I was, I was sitting on the ninth floor of my last hospitalization, I've been hospitalized three times for a total of like six weeks, five or six weeks uh, in the last 15 years. <clears throat> and I was looking out, staring at the people that are kind of walking by in the parking lot and I, and the coworker, you know, one of the nurses there came up to me and said, you know, you know, you know what the difference is between you and those people out there? I was like, I don't know. I was like really, just really in despair. And, and she's like, you're getting help. And I think there are a lot of people that, that really wear a mask and end up going to their grave, wearing a mask and pretending like the pain isn't there. Um, pretending like, like they're not, they're not struggling or suffering. And, and I think there's a lot more pain, a lot more, more struggling out there than what you than what you typically see. And there's a lot more normal people in the mental hospital than maybe what you can anticipate. There are, there are, there are people you walk in there and you're like, wait, are they a worker or are they a patient? Because they're, they're normal people with, with, with real struggle. The word normal is kind of crazy because it's like, you know, it's becoming normal for people to to need that kind of care. Um, And it's, it's good. You know, our, you know, our mind and mental illness is just a really complex physical illness that we're trying to figure out. And one of the ways that we're trying to do that is to this hospitalization, creating a safe place for people that might uh, be endangering themselves or others. And for me, it was myself. Um, yeah. You might have said it best there. Uh, and the irony is not lost on me. Uh, normal. The definition is kind of crazy. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, you know, you. you're not you're not supposed to use the word crazy when talking about mental health, but it, it might fit in this instance talking about normal. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's I insane, right? It's insane. But it is that. <laughs> yeah. All those all those words we're not supposed to use. But uh, right. bringing you back now to, to some of those things, because I know there was those intrinsic things that were going on with you. But then there was also some outside uh, influences to your your mental health journey that uh, didn't didn't help much um, in in some of your your friends um, and some loss. Uh, can you tell me about about that? Yeah, so I want to take you on a little bit of a journey for this for this particular story. In 2016, I just started going back to college at Liberty University, <clears throat> and I was looking to get into business. And I had all these skills that we talked about, you know, those, those three tools in my toolkit. So I went to an organization of developers, like, well, how can I use these skills that I've learned through life and some of the other things that, I, that I've developed in, in the world of business? <laughs> and um, this guy was taking notes on his whiteboard and we kind of sat down after we talked for an hour and he's like, ah, I have no idea. Maybe we just, maybe it, it seems to me that you're, you're waiting for some kind of catalyst to push you in a specific direction. Something major to, for God to take these these tools and this vehicle and, and to point you in the right direction. And I'm like, Oh great. Nothing, nothing really exciting ever happened in my life. So I'm like, well, you know, thanks for nothing. I'm, I don't know what I'm going to do still. And then in 2018 on January 25th, I get a phone call. I received two calls. <clears throat> I get a phone call from my good friend who was one of my uh, best friends. And he told me that my best friend had passed away. Uh, my best friend who was also my worship pastor had taken his life. And this guy was the guy that convinced me that it was safe to go back into mental hospitals because he had just come out of one. And, you know, when he was in the hospital, I would sneak him, you know, junk food, Oreos and sweet tea. And when he, when, when I was in, he would bring me a gallon of Oreo, like a gallon of sweet tea and Oreos. And we just really understood each other. We really clicked and we were, because we clicked so well, um, our support for each other was just it was amazing. And it, it was exactly what I needed. But when I lost that, when he passed away and the moment I heard that he had died uh, via suicide, um, that conversation from 2016, which I had never given a second thought to came crashing back like a bulldozer over my soul is like, is like God more clear than I had ever heard him before said to me, this is the time. This is what I would be preparing you for. I didn't want this for you, but this is what I'm going to do with your broken situation. I'm going to do a lot of mending. I'm going to help a lot of people. 
And I didn't know exactly what I was going to do from that moment, but I was really pissed off and upset. And I was going to do something because I, I had to, like, I, I didn't know what else to do. I was just so much energy and so much passion. And God was just transforming my heart in that moment. It was just, it was just radical. Um, and so I started writing the book. Well, I can only imagine what that does uh, to a human being when the, the person who was instrumental in helping you on your journey away from suicidal ideation, away from uh, the darkness that just envelops you and you can't get out and you need that hand coming in, uh, turns to suicide themselves and follows through. Uh, I mean, discouraging, anger, sadness, I, the, the mix of emotion would just uh, be overwhelming. Yeah, and the big one was loneliness. Like loneliness, like who do I talk to? Who can possibly understand these emotions that I'm having? Like, I just didn't even know. Like my wife, you know, she, you know, one of the things that really leads to anger in people is fear of the unknown. And my wife, her response to my depression was anger. And she wanted me as a safe way for me to deal with it, to, to talk to my friend, Nathan, talk to other people. So when he was gone, I felt like a lost puppy, man. I didn't know what I was going to do. And, uh, and I just, I just really turned to God big time. And him and I had some really frank conversations that really, really blessed me and really opened my heart uh, to a, to a new area of, of faith living and grace living that I had never experienced before, bro. Well, and, and Paul Stetler, he, he went through a time where he, we had him on the podcast. He lost his wife in an accident, uh, a, a motor vehicle collision. And he talks about, hey, you know, therapy, that's great. Christian counselors, I'm all for it. But there were times in my life where God walked this healing journey with me. And I don't think we should discount at all the ability of God to step into our lives, come alongside of us in a way that no human being can because he knows us better than we know ourselves. And he knows us better than anybody else can ever know us. And he loves us to the point where he wants to bring the ultimate healing to us in a way that will have us living a life that's more abundant than we can ever imagine. And that's why I call the book, you know, mending, mending broken people in that subtitle is because, you know, it's just a piece. There are all these stitches, all these little pieces that help bring things together. And you can't separate God from that equation. And, and, and a lot of, in, in a lot of cases, God is all that you need. But in my situation, I need the medication. I need the friends. I need the exercise. I need, all, like God is just, you know, he has, given the doctors and my therapist wisdom. And this is what, this is my lot in life right now. And I'm okay with it. I'm going to, I'm going to shut up from the mountaintops that this is what I need but until God decides to heal me. Like I'm going to use it all, man. I'm going to use all the stitches to, to help mend this brokenness that I'm living in. Well, I love that. And, and focusing in on that part of it where you call it uh, an insider's toolkit. So this is yeah. you as a field expert and yes. <laughs> the, the nuance for it. There is nuance to this. This is not um, a book that somebody's going to pick up. They're going to read it and it's going to be tailor made for them necessarily. This is your experience. This mm -hmm. is what you've gleaned. Um, and I think it's important looking at what you've done here uh, for everyone to develop their own toolkit and it's out of your life experience. You've explained where you came from in 2001. You've explained going through multiple hospital stays uh, for your mental uh, health help. And you've explained how even mentors, people, uh, they fail. They just do. We fail. Everyone fails. And, and not everyone can be there for us all the time. So in developing your toolkit, I want to bring you into those three things, those three tools that you keep talking about as listeners. Are like, okay, what are the three tools? Um, can you tell us what are the three tools in there? Don't give them all away, like, um, but focus in maybe on one that's important to you. Yeah. And, and while I do that, I also want to focus in on like what, you know, you, you mentioned like, you know, you got to develop your own toolkit. And I think with, with self-help books out there, traditionally, there's this idea of like, if you do what I do, then you're going to have the same success that I have. Right, but right, but sure. I realized that that's not the case. You know, when I went through dialectical behavior therapy, like I realized that I couldn't just keep what they were giving me and use it as a letter of a law and know it was going to work for me. I had to do something what I call Joeizen. Well, in the book, I refer to that as utilization. Every every chapter ends with a utilization section. Y O U. Like, how do you take the concepts that I'm introducing to you and apply them? and situate them in your life that's effective for your situation, knowing that my, my way of doing it is not going to work for you. 
And one of the, one of the major tools, uh, and this is the third one that I mentioned in the book is friendship. I talk about the importance of, of developing uh, layers of friendship. And it really starts with this concept that Jesus talked about uh, as one of the greatest commandments to love your neighbor as yourself. And, and I think you talked about this actually in another podcast I heard was, you know, God set a precedent for how we love other people. Mm, yeah. And that is how we love ourselves. So I'm really limiting my ability to care and love for other people, these friends that I, these so-called friends that I have or don't have by how I'm loving myself. You know, I can't go to a person with an empty cup of water and try to try to deal with their thirst situation. No, it's going to be, it's going to be insulting and teasing. But if I, if I'm loving myself and that's how I start that, that section off with it, Hey, how do you learn to like yourself? And, and one of the challenges I've dealt with, especially before my friend Nathan passed away was, is this constant adjusting myself to be somebody that everybody else liked as opposed to being the person that's just me. So by constantly adjusting myself to be somebody else that other people liked, I never really realized what I liked. And so I was constantly living this, uh, this false, false lifestyle that really didn't represent who God made me to be. And so I, I walked the reader through, like, how do you learn to like yourself? How do you learn to, to even like realize what you like? Like, I mean, that was a big thing for me is like, you know, I remember going through a, a long stretch of my life wondering what in the world my hobbies were, you know? And, I, you know, and in my 30s, like, what do I want to be when I grow up? And if you're constantly living to please other people and, and, and trying to chase the success that they would define for you, then, then that, 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 that happiness <laughs> is going to be extremely elusive. So I start with that. And then I address with like, why is it so hard to make friends as adults versus making friends as kids? Like I addressed that issue. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's wild. You know, some of these rules that we create our, around ourselves as adults, that if we just looked at it as, as, as we did as kids, I think life would be a whole lot simpler. Like this idea of play and asking for help and even asking for friendship and, you know, I remember doing that in third grade, asking a guy to be my friend. You know, we leave these things un, unsaid and these commitments, um, you know, I think it makes it easier for us to, to create uh, distance between us and other people when we leave things unsaid like that. So I just talk about some of these rules that we, that are mentioned that, that we kind of live by as adults. Like, you know, when do we do sleepovers? No, <laughs> you know, when, when can I ask somebody to come over and help me with a project or something like that? You know, it's just, you know, that's one of the, the best things I could do with hanging out with friends. But then, you know, I talked about layers that I create uh, around friendship and, and I started something, you know, probably 15 years ago called 10 friends, which I refer to in the book as uh, intentional best friends and intentional best friends is this, this small group of people that I celebrate in my life every Thanksgiving. They are people that I write a letter to. I, I ask for a certain level of commitment for the next year, starting in Thanksgiving. And I offer a certain level of commitment. I, I kind of make a big deal out of it. I write them a letter and I seal it in wax and I, and uh, you know, I give them a gift sometimes. And it's just this idea of, you know, whenever you need something, you come to me. And if I need something, you know, I'll come to you. And there's just, there's no guessing game about like, who's in your corner. Like when I'm, when I'm most depressed, it's like, you know, I don't have any friends. That's that pity party. And then I'm like, oh, how can I say I don't have any friends? I've got these, this list of people that, that have committed to me for the next year. It's like, it takes away that excuse from saying, I don't have anybody. <laughs> and you know, the level of commitment and, and that these friends have been to me, has been really like, especially they, they text me on a daily basis just to see how I'm doing. And they ask me what I need. And, and the same is reciprocated. Like, you know, I, I'm like, who, what do you need? And you know, one of the cool things I, I do in the, in the book and I talk about this is I created friend files and they're like little dossiers on my friends. Like, who are they? What are they like? So whenever I have a conversation with my friends, I like, you know, I kind of feel like a spy, you know, like, but, but not so stalkerish, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, you know, what is your Myers-Briggs? You know, what is your anagram, you know, number? And, you know, what is your favorite cake, birthdays and all this stuff? I love to record that stuff in their friend files. And, you know, it's that kind of intentional living that's really built up this, this awesome relationship I have with these, these group of, this, this, this small group of people. And I have hundreds of other friends too. But, you know, it's, it's really important to me to, 
to create this boundary around my life um, where I have this small group of people that I can go to for anything. Well, let me ask you this, because along with those, you, you have some other things like uh, the, one of the tools is, is having a scale to, to, to measure mental health in your life. Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong on these. Uh, and then another is, is journaling, the importance of journaling, which we have uh, an instructor, Sue Bowles, in, in our community group talking about the importance of journaling, telling you how you can journal uh, starting or, or getting better with it. Um, and then you bring this friendship and you talk about the, the support group there, having that inner circle, having the people you can trust. Let me ask you this about the friendship, because you've, you've mentioned it just a little bit, but the importance of boundaries in there, because as a kid, you know, we have our best friends and we have those people that uh, we just label them, you know, like, hey, today was my my kid's first day of kindergarten. She probably has a best friend already. Uh, what does that mean? But when we grow up, it, we, we're more intentional about our friendships and it's hard to label them necessarily. Um, but how you've done it is is uh, with intentionality with purpose and with a driving force of we're going to be there for each other, no matter what we've got each other's backs within that. How do boundaries play out within those friendships for you of, of not crossing the line towards enmeshment or taking on too much of the other person's uh, issues as well? How do boundaries play out in your uh, toolkit here that you have on friends? You know, one of the things about the, the mental health scale I bring up is, is just communication. One of the friends I currently have, on my, as my intentional best friend, when we first sat down and I was telling him about this very thing, um, you know, he asked me why at the time he wasn't even like kind of even like a, a, a close friend. And he asked me, you know, why, why is that? And I was like, I don't trust you. <laughs> and it kind of took him, took him aback, you know? And one of the things my, my, my intentional best friend for sure realizes this, this, utter honesty that I have that I'm willing to have with them and that I expect from them too. like the things that we share together, the, this small group of people, it's, it's, it's insanely, and I can't, I'm using the word again, saying I'm, I apologize, but it's, it's, it's extremely <laughs> honest and I'm constantly encouraging them and they're constantly encouraging me both through like weekly accountability and, um, just through prayer and just, you know, hanging out together just to, to have these boundaries. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. I don't necessarily know necessarily how to answer other than I've got really smart friends and we haven't ever reached. Well, like I got one friend that goes to bed at nine o'clock. Like, you know, he, he's not going to answer the phone. If I call past nine o'clock, it's not like, so if I have a manic episode, like I just know that like, that's a boundary that he has in place. Um, you know, when I am having family time, there's no answer my phone for my, for my friends. And they realize that like them understanding who I am, and me knowing who they are, then I get a sense for their boundaries kind of automatically. And then I'm not going to violate. And if they do violate, like we're going to be honest with each other. And, and we, we have it. And I think the more honest you are, the more you have that track record, it's so much easier it is to be. And especially with those people that you can trust that your honesty isn't going to break them. Well, it sounds like you have answered it in, in a good way, too, in that uh, being open and honest, the, it's not that you sit down and like, all right, uh, in this contractual agreement, I'm going to need to know your oh, yeah. top three boundaries. Like, no, it comes through communication, yep. uh, intimacy, but then also a clear delineation between where you start and, and I start and a respect, a mutual respect along that. Mm. It, it, and, and it sounds like you have answered it. Yeah. Um, I, I like uh, one thing you mentioned in the book, um, and, and you talk about it with journaling. Uh, you mentioned keystone habits, a keystone habit. Can you explain what a keystone habit is and why that was important for you in developing your toolkit? Oh, man. You just opened a can of worms. So <laughs> I'm going to talk about I two love things. That. Yeah, two things related to keystone habits. So there's keystone habit and there's a chain reaction. So keystone habit is a habit that other habits can be built on. Um, it's, it's a strong, like a foundational habit. And there, there are a few of those out there, but I think the most fundamental one that I ran across in my research for the, my book was for this journaling idea. Like you can, you know, I, I sequenced these tools in my book for specific reasons. I started with the uh, mental health scale. Like if you can't measure how you're doing and communicate, I think communication measurement is, is by far one of the most important tools in building. And one of the most important tools in working with somebody with mental health, and there's a, there's a huge lacking in communication between professionals, uh, law enforcement, family members, and those that struggle with mental, mental illness. Now, you get to journaling, 
and it's taking that to the another another level it's like trying to re- reflect on those things that you're learning and trying to communicate and and really it's, it almost gives you like a practice ground for communicating with people that you love and really to try out some of the ideas that you have in, in a safe place right like, you, like nobody's going to typically read your journal although that's not necessarily a rule <laughs> that i think that uh, i think is unbreakable and to lean into the chain reaction thing, and I talk about, this is a wonderful thing uh, I talk about in my book that I'm so excited about. I was writing this section of my book while I was camp- camping with my son in a, in a national forest in northern Michigan. So you can build upon this idea of journaling. Like, you know, journaling, the studies by the University of Iowa talks about how actual journaling can make you a better tennis player. Like, the, the idea of journaling was studied, was proven to make you a better tennis player. It's crazy. It's, again, the crazy word. But, but, but check this out. If I take a stick, I'm, I'm sitting here by a, by a small creek right now, and I throw it into that creek, you know, as soon as it hits the creek, what's going to happen with the water? You'll have ripples. I have ripples, right? So I talk about in the book, like, writing in a journal is like throwing that stick. And, you know, once I throw that stick, everything else is out of my control. I'm not, like, aiming that stick while it's flying through the air. And as soon as it hits that water, ripples happen. And, and, and same with when you journal. You create this chain reaction that affects, you know, it affects like some of the obvious things in your life, like the thing that you're journaling about, for example. But then it affects other things in your life that, that isn't so obvious. For example, I talk about the, the benefits of kinesthetic na- nature of writing, that idea of writing or using that, that left brain to, to kind of focus your mind away from some of your, 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 your darker thoughts is extremely helpful. These, these ripples get out of, you know, they don't get out of control and there's several at the same time that are, that are changing the surface of that water. And when you journal, you're changing the surface of your life in ways that you really cannot control. Because once you've taken that step to make a healthy decision like that, and, and that's what's so powerful and great about it. That's what's so powerful about God is when you give your life over to God, there's, there's certain things that you just don't control that God is watching out for you. And it's just beautiful, right? It's just beautiful. And I, and I think, well, gee, you know, how does that happen with journaling? Well, because God created things, right? God created how we live and function and move and, and in him we have our being. The very nature of God is this wonderful dance that he has with us of, of some kind of control of our lives. It's, it's beautiful. And when we give our lives over to him and really make him Lord of our lives, that, that control is, is just a wonderful thing. Well, in Sue Bowles, in, in uh, the instructor session in the community group this week, she referred to it as a means of grace. You know, we think of some of those things like uh, that draw us closer to God through communion or, 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 or discipleship or either these means of grace. But one thing that could be is, is journaling and, and taking that and asking God to bless it, multiply it and, and work through it and change me, help me to understand more about myself and others through that. And I like how you, you put it as a, a test drive for some things too. get that down there and, and see what it looks like on paper and see how it reflects back onto you or, or for you. Um, in, in your book. So, and I want to give you a chance in just a moment to tell people where to go to find out more about you and the book, but uh, what's something as you were writing this book that, that happened that you didn't expect uh, would come out of the book, how uh, itself, how it was received or, or something that happened? Uh, what's something you didn't expect from it? That I would learn to like myself, that I'm, that I'm, I'm learning so much about myself and it's astonishing, like, you know, on, uh, Anne Voskamp has this book, 1,000 Awesome Gifts, where she just talks about this idea of eucharistio, the Greek word for thanks, you know, thankfulness that Jesus uses when he refers to the 10 people that he heals and then the one person comes back. Like right now, as I sit, as I sit here in this, this field, and, you know, taking gratitude to the next level is like looking at things that are beautiful and acknowledging that they're beautiful is like taking the gifts of God, opening them and saying, thank you. It's like anybody can make a list that says, I'm grateful for my journal. I'm grateful for this tree I'm sitting next to. But to look out and say, you know, just to acknowledge this fence that I'm looking at and how straight it is and how, how beautiful it looks being backdropped by this fountain going in the background. Like that is beautiful. And to acknowledge that beauty is really just kind of taking the gifts of God, opening them and saying, thank you. So rather than just doing like the, the normal, I'm grateful for this, just to look around and see the beautiful things that you personally see as beautiful. Like for me, right angles. I see a right angle 
in a building. It's it's the weirdest thing. I see them and I just love them. I don't know why. I just in the color yellow and the smell of gasoline. And, you know, those are things that I, I uniquely enjoy for me. And I think that if we're, you know, if we're willing to, to practice being more honest in our journals, that that can really transform who we are outside of our journals and embolden us to be, you know, if we were emboldened more to be the people that God created us to be rather than, you know, trying to fulfill the successes that we think other people think we should have, then I think we'd be getting more kingdom work done rather than just trying to, I don't know, be be posers, be, be something we're, we're, we're not and, and pretend we'd have less struggles. I mean, pastors have it all the time. I mean, you see pastors struggling with, 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 with these battles because they're, they have all these expectations put on them that they really, as, as humans, really can't fulfill. And it, it makes their job extremely hard because they really are just humans and they're, they're, they're trying to follow the call of God. But at the same time, you know, they have, they have struggles and they have passions and, and it's, I think it can be scary for, for leaders, even like yourself to, to be openly honest about that and, and, and what you're passionate about because of how people will perceive you. Well, and I, I, you, you mentioned something about journaling there that I think is insightful. Uh, it may be hard. We may be in such a rut or a, uh, a habit of not being honest about who we are, what we, what we are and, and what we struggle with that you may not even be able to be honest with yourself and yeah. the safety of a journal. And I, I would stand to say, it would stand to reason if you're at that point where you can't even be honest with yourself in the safety of a journal, it may be time to reach out um, and, and seek professional help with that. Um, overcome the stigma, find someone who's been through it that can help mentor you, but find a professional. And here at Grace Story Ministries, we can help you with that. Uh, go to gracestoryministries.com or you can email me or Amber. Uh, or Ryan, uh, just our first name in, at GraceStoryMinistries.com. Now, uh, Joseph, where can people find more about you and buy your book um, and, and get to know you a little bit better? Yeah, thanks. So I have a website. It's www.broken-people.org. There's a bunch of links on there. Well, actually, there's just two links on the on the front page. It's I feel broken or I care for somebody that feels broken because it's got to be stupid simple, man. It's got to be, you know, when somebody's really struggling, they're looking for answers. I just try to keep it simple. And there's a, there's a link in there too that, you know, you can click on the little picture of the book and I'll take it to Amazon to get my book broken like me. There's, you know, the resources in there for, for NAMI National Alliance on Mental Illness. Um, I'd love to put a link, a link in there for Grace Story too. I mean, it's the things that you guys are doing are fantastic. Your podcast is amazing. Yeah, we'd love to get that uh, that link over there. I'll have to talk to some people behind the scenes. Uh, I am not the action man for that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'd love that. Uh, now, one thing I like to do at the end of every podcast, because we're running out of time here, but uh, give you a moment. People have heard your story. Uh, someone's maybe connected to it, or they know someone uh, who's connected to what you've been through, where you're at. They're interested about the toolkits. They're going to get to that. They may need to work on their own toolkit. Um, but if you could talk to someone who, who may be where you were, um, journaling or thinking about suicide, or they're struggling with the loss of a friend who has, uh, committed suicide, um, or they're struggling with, I need help, but I, I don't want people to think, think ill of me because I'm going to get help in a mental health hospital. What would you say to somebody that's uh, suicidal, struggling with anxiety, may need mental health? don't, don't want to go get it just yet. What do you say to them? Well, you know, just to be completely honest with you, Nate, right now, I'm in a pretty dark spot. Like I'm, I'm wondering why in the world you're sitting here talking to me. Like, you know, this is a fantastic podcast and you know, my self-confidence is really, really low right now. And one of the things I, I know because it's something I've practiced a whole lot is when I'm done with this podcast, I can call my, my best friends, those, those intentional best friends I have, and just be honest about my struggle. You know, going out and, and practice, practicing using these resources in your life and believing that, believing that they're effective because you've experienced their effectiveness is huge. Realizing that, you know, there, there are many different stitches that it'll take to kind of mend your brokenness. You know, definitely getting the professional help is, is, is so key. But you can't do, you know, you can't do all this without, with, and, and ignore, you know, your spiritual self and your physical self and, 
you know, going to those people that are smarter than you, like, you know, like for me, right after this call, just going to my friends and say, you know, I just, I feel like I, feel like I bombed it. I feel like I, I suck, you know, and, and that kind of on that kind of gut level level honesty, when you bring things that are in the dark into the light, well, well darkness can't stand that. Darkness can't stand that. And, and, you know, uh, we have to trust that, that, you know, despite, I don't even think I, you know, I told podcast, I don't even know if I'm, I'm talking very clearly or not, you know, I'm just kind of like, I, I feel like I'm in a fog, but you know, trusting that God is going to take whatever we're talking about here and using it to bless somebody else. Like I get it. You have to ask for help. And, but you know, for the people that are listening that don't struggle with this, you know, who around you is kind of disappeared, who around you haven't you heard from? Because one of the best things you can do for people like me that's struggling, like I am right at this moment who deals with brokenness on a day-to-day basis is show up. Remember them and show up. We talk about friendship in the in the book is about you know one of the keys to you know uh, of, of battling this, this illness I have is celebrating the wins and celebrating you know from the smallest win of of the fact that I'm having this conversation that I don't even think I deserve to have you know to be in the same spot as you you know using this opportunity where I feel so inadequate to maybe reach out to somebody else that I might think feels inadequate and and to realize that that I can minister from my point of pain. And so both getting the help from people that I know will support me and using my point of pain as a, as a, as a, as an opportunity to, to help somebody else, man, that just screws up the devil's plans. He, that just messes it up, man. That messes up so much stuff. And I, and I can tell you, I'm, I, I, I feel better even talking about it. So, Well, a couple of things you touched on, um, and you mentioned it earlier, you talked about episode 23 with Don Davison, where he talks about, you can only give to others the amount of love that you have for yourself. Mm, yep. And then having you talk about uh, being honest and going to others right after this, and you were you were very honest right now, which takes bravery. Yeah. Uh, honest about that we've we've talked about here as well. There's no healing in hiding. Certainly, sometimes Whoa. we need safety. Say that again. There's no <laughs> healing in hiding. Sometimes we need safety from God. We need to be under his wings, but mm. intentionally hiding things, it's not going to heal it. It's only going to fester in the darkness. Um, and having people around you, you have set up, and I want to bring us back to the importance of developing your own toolkit. Kit. Yeah. Your yeah. own toolkit. You have uh, in real time. And if people know someone who's struggling with some of the things that you've brought up today, send this episode to them because this is real talk. This is honesty. And this is someone who has developed a toolkit and they understand themselves enough that uh, they understand the feelings inside. What am I going to do with them? They understand the real uh, uh, chemical issues in a brain. They understand the way it connects. uh, Self-worth, identity, fear, but also, I love it, ministering from your point of pain. God is closer to us uh, when we are suffering and when we're relying on him and he's happy to help if we're just reaching out our hand and letting him help us. You're ministering from your point of pain. I love what you've shared today and and I hope that people will share this episode with people uh, just like you and bring more people uh, to this point of pain that you've ministered from. Joseph, thank you so much for being on this episode. Thank you for sharing your story. Uh, and thank you for your honesty. That really yeah. does take bravery. Um, so for me and the listeners, thank you so much. Yeah. Can I say one more thing? Yeah, go for um, it. You know, I, I don't care about uh, about selling books. You know, my, my goal has always been like Jesus to reach the next one person. Like Jesus is all about the lost coin, lost sheep, you know, that prodigal son. And, you know, when I wrote that book, you know, I, I'm writing it from an insider's perspective. It's, it's very conversational. One of the things that surprised me most about it was how, how, people have read it, it feels like they're having a conversation with somebody with mental illness that, that gets it. You know, I, I, have a, I have a study guide I want to give to your, um, your listeners. If they just go to my website, they click on the contact thing, um, email me, you know, via the contact and say, you know, give me the study guide. I'll send it to you for free. Um, that'll help you a little bit. <laughs> I mean, it, it kind of goes to the book. Again, I don't care about selling the book. You know, check out the website, you know, listen to all these great story podcasts because they're fantastic. I've heard them. You know, skip my book. You know, don't buy the book. Listen to the great story, or buy my book, and it's 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 funny and it's it's down to earth and it, it it gets into the heart and soul of somebody that's been in and out of mental hospitals, but loves Jesus and knows that Jesus is bringing about restoration and redemption because that's what Jesus does best, and that's what only Jesus does. Right, man. Let's get going.
I love it. I love it. And uh, we'll include a, a link to to your website in the show notes. So if you're listening right now on your phone, just scroll down there, tap on it, head on over and, and uh, see what kind of resources are there for you. Um, Joseph, thank you so much. You're a part of our Grace Story community. Um, you're, you're in our group. So if people want to know more about you or, or connect with you, uh, you can also just jump into the Grace Story community group. There's a couple questions yeah. to answer there. And Joseph's in there as well, sharing in all the resources that are there with instructors and, and journal prompts and, and uh, licensed counselors are in there, all sorts of great stuff. But um, yeah, absolutely. Joseph, thank you so much for your honesty and thank you for being on this episode of Grace Story Podcast. My pleasure. Thank you. Well, that's all we have for this episode of Grace Story Podcast. Another episode coming to a close. Uh, if you like this episode, as always, share this with your friends on social media. Send them a text. Uh, give the, Just tell them word of mouth is the best way for this podcast to continue to grow and for uh, the, the episode and the resources to get to more and more people. Uh, Grace Story Conference is coming up. If you want to volunteer there. Uh, make sure you go over, get your registration squared away. Uh, use the podcast 25 uh, uh, deal to, to save 25% off of your registration. But if you want to do more there and you want to find a way to get plugged in and volunteer, just send me an email, nate at graystoryministries.com, or you can send an email to amber, amber at graystoryministries.com. Lots of little things, some big things to do as well. Uh, but once we get through the final planning and we know you want to be a part of it, we'll be able to plug you in. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. This time, our guest is going to be Daryl Stetler. Uh, he is a pastor out in Oklahoma, and he's going to be talking with us on the topic of, get this, how to argue like a Christian. Uh, I don't know if that's giving us strategies or how to yell better, when to raise your decibel level, uh, what your Facebook post uh, should look like to just have enough passive aggression in it, but not, you know, like, you know, enough to be uh, haughty of spirit. I, I don't know what it's going to look like, but I'm excited about it. I'm, I'm glad to have that conversation with him. Uh, so make sure you tell your friends, tune in, get it, uh, get subscribed on whichever app uh, you're listening in on so you don't miss an episode. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks with that episode. Until then, we'll be praying for you on your journey of restoration. Uh, see you in two weeks. <laughs>